Well, if you have your Bibles down here with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 54 as we briefly meditate on that psalm this afternoon. The caption of Psalm 54 tells us quite a lot about the circumstances under which it was composed. There are there are lots of psalms that might just tell us of David and don't tell us much, or in some many cases there is no uh, caption that tells us anything about the circumstances under which the psalm was composed. This one's quite a lengthy caption. It says, To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, Is not David hiding among us? So the instructions to the choir master there tell us David either wrote this psalm uh, many years after the events which inspired it, uh, or perhaps he added those instructions uh, when he later prepared the psalm uh, years after to be, uh, to be used in the temple as he knew his son Solomon would be building the temple. Uh, or he originally wrote it right after the events in, uh, that it commemorates rather with confidence that he would be king in the future and would be able to have it sung in, in public worship. But for whatever reason, he tells the choir master here that it should be sung with stringed instruments as uh, they were used in the temple. A masculine indicates probably that it is a contemplation. That's a deep reflection on the promises of God. Of David, of course, tells us David composed it. And then we get this uh, historical notation. When the Ziphites went and told Saul, Is not David hiding among us? Now that refers to specific historical events which are recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 23. It happened not long after the events that remembered in Psalm 52 that we examined not too long ago. Uh, David was fleeing from King Saul who was jealous of him and trying to kill him. David received aid from the priests of the Lord at the town of Nob. Doeg the Edomite, as we saw in Psalm 52, informed Saul of this, for which Saul murdered the priests at Nob. However, David had already fled to the cave of Adullam or Adullam. There's about six different ways you can pronounce that. Uh, when Abiathar, the only priest who, to survive Saul's murder of his household, came to him there. <coughs> and soon after, David and his men rescued the town of Calah from a Philistine attack. Yet despite David's rescue of this Israelite town, Saul still pursued David. So David and his men hid in the wilderness around the town of Ziph. Kayla and Ziph were both towns of the tribe of Judah, David's own tribe. Uh, these are his kinsmen. And yet the men of Ziph told Saul where David was, where he was hiding. So in the psalm we find in verse 1 through 3, David's prayer for deliverance. In verses 4 and 5, David's confidence in the Lord. In verses 6 and 7, a short psalm, David's commitment to worship the Lord who has rescued him. So, verses 1 through 3 are David's prayer in light of the circumstances. Here when even his own distant relatives here have, his own kinsmen have betrayed him. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might might think of David crying out 
for this vindication because he's just been uh, turned over to Saul, so to speak. At least his location has been betrayed to Saul by the people he's there protecting and his own tribe. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. And there's a sila there at the end of that verse. The sila at the end of verse 3 encourages us to stop and contemplate David's prayer. He calls upon God to wield his mighty power on David's behalf. It is perfectly appropriate when you are distressed or beset by especially the wicked in this world to cry out to God to vindicate you, to help you. And we notice here, the reason he cries out is because strangers have risen against him. Now some manuscripts actually have insolent men. uh, Men who should respect David and David's position, his authority, his action to have defended them, but who instead reject and undermine the authority of David. But the most likely original term is, as we have it in the English Standard Version here, strangers. And this is interesting considering the historical context because these men of David's own tribe, his own kinsmen, are acting like they are strangers to him, like they are people foreign to David with no ties of blood or of loyalty of any kind to him. So it's probably very telling that he might have chosen that word. Strangers have risen against me when these were the people who should have been near and dear to him and to whom he should have been near and dear. He also describes them as ruthless men. Of course, Saul was quite ruthless in his seeking of David's life. And the root problem here of these people who are against David isn't mere hatred for David. It isn't simply a political rivalry. If you know what instigated in the first place on a human level uh, Saul's hatred of David, it was that people were singing, uh, using Hebrew poetry with its parallelisms, uh, praising both Saul and David, and praising God for what he had done, but Saul saw this as as insulting to him because they would sing that Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And so Saul was jealous of David. But what's the problem? It's not just rejection of David. David says it's rejection of God. They do not set God before themselves. A man who sets God before himself would be humble and would not be worried about the fact that that's the way the the song went with its parallelism that Saul has sung or has uh, has just has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands he would have said praise God he's protecting his people when we fail to set God before ourselves we fall into sin that's the danger here Verses 4 and 5 express David's confidence in the Lord, though in light of this difficult circumstance, where people who do not set God before themselves have turned on him, and ruthless men are seeking his life. Our God is faithful to help his servants, David says. We see in verses 4 and 5, Behold, God is my helper. So on the one hand, he cries out to God, Help me, but he knows God is his helper. He says, Yes, these ruthless men are against me, these These people who've betrayed me are against me. 
Excuse me. But here he says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will turn, or he will return the evil of my enemies. Excuse me, let me read that again. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. <coughs> so knowing that God will overturn the efforts of those who set themselves against God's anointed, David calls upon the Lord to put an end to his enemies. Now this might sound a bit harsh from our perspective. Uh, sometimes we might think, well, David's just being uh, kind of mean. He's wanting God to step in and just destroy his enemies. I don't like those people. Please kill them for me, God. Right? Is that what he's saying? But, you know, God eliminates the enemies of his people in a couple of different ways. He can and does and will destroy the enemies of Christ. Or he will take enemies of Christ and convert them to Christ. And that's the case for every one of us. We were in enmity with God. We were hostile in mind, as Paul says. And yet, God changed us. And he converted us to himself. So that they're no longer enemies. And God could easily do that to David's enemies. Verses 6 and 7 show David's commitment, though, to worship the God who has rescued him. So notice his confidence. Well, God will take care of this. I know that God has promised that I am his anointed king, so I will be on the throne of Israel. So I know that I will be rescued. It's appropriate for him to pray that promise back to God. But with faith like that of Abraham, knowing that because God has spoken, it will be true, he makes this commitment, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God. The God who's rescued me. And so verses 6 and 7 with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. We should give thanks to God's name because it is good. That's, that's not just saying, uh, oh, you have a pretty sounding name, God. It's, it's, that's a good name. Like when uh, every time you name a child, people will say, yeah, that's a nice name. Or, well, I don't like that name so much. That's not what David's talking about here. He say, when he says God's name is good, he's saying God's character is good. God has a good character. It is a character that never fails to do good. Goodness is his character. He is morally correct all the time. So with a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. This should ever be the response of God's people to his goodness, that we worship him. And thanks be to God, he not only vindicated and rescued David in this particular circumstance, but as these psalms point also to Christ, we see that the Lord vindicated Christ. And Christ will look in triumph on his enemies. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death, over which he's already triumphed in his resurrection. God raised up Jesus Christ and vindicated him, giving him victory over his enemies, even sin and death. And so we can rejoice that our enemies have already been defeated in Christ. And so he has delivered us from every trouble, and our eye will look with triumph on our enemies. So our response should be the same response that David had. I will worship him. I will worship. I will bring a free will offering him 
I will give thanks to his name, for he is good. So let's do that very thing. Let's continue our worship and conclude this time of worship as we turn in our Psalters to Psalm 54, Selection B is in Bible. Let's stand together and we'll remain standing for the benediction. 54B.